Um, well, I mean, I suppose um, the expectation is that member states should should fund the African Union. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think it's uh, absolutely fair to say that there's a reluctance, certainly, on the part of some member states to to pay their dues. Uh, the AU finds itself in a perpetual financial crisis uh, every year. So, so the situation since 2002, since the formation of the AU, has been that five uh, member states, uh, South Africa, Nigeria, um, and then three of the five come from North Africa, Algeria, Libya, and Egypt, they paid 15% each um, uh, to the budget of the AU. So the five together um, provided 75% of the budget. Now, that's a very uh, unhealthy situation if you rely on five of 55 states to pay 75%, and 50 are responsible for um, the other 25%. And it's actually the 50 that don't come up with their dues. Now, here's the dilemma just briefly. If we go and do an exercise, you and I, where we look at whether African states pay their dues to the United Nations, I put it to you, the charges are that 90%, if not more, of our states would rather pay their dues to the UN in order to get the opportunity in September to, to address the General Assembly of the UN um, in New York rather than paying their own uh, institutions. So I think we have to ask the question whether our states are serious about owning their agenda and whether we take our own continental issues and institutions seriously. Well, given the fact that the headquarters of the AU was actually uh, uh, built and funded by the Chinese, um, that question comes into even more stark focus. The fact that, you know, our uh, 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 efforts seem to be concentrated elsewhere, as you've just pointed out. But, um, you know, so what happens then in the case that you've just outlined where there's um, equitable uh, rather than equal contribution to this fund? Should it then mean that some states should be, uh, you know, uh, more important, should you know, uh, be considered as more senior in this whole uh, transaction? Well, I mean, clearly these states that are paying more would like to have a greater say and influence over the agenda um, and therefore regard themselves as, as somewhat more important. But at the same time, uh, so-called, and I really mean advisedly, so-called smaller states don't take kindly to a South Africa and a Nigeria or an Egypt and an Algeria, um, you know, almost uh, using their scales of assessments, their ability to pay as a means to influence the agenda. But this is not unique to the content, of course. We know what's happening in the United um, Nations, that the five permanent members pay more than, than the others, that the United States pays more. China now pays the second largest because China is the second largest economy in the world. So what the Germany and Japan would say to you is that, well, we, we are expected to pay um, a heck of a lot to the UN budget, given the size of our economies, and yet we not have privileged positions in the UN Security Council. So it's, it's not unique, but no, I don't think it's as straightforward as that, that, that the scale that you pay allow you to, to dominate the agenda in the AU. So, so small states are very quick to work these so-called bigger states into line, and yet as I say, they are reluctant. And, I, and it seems to me that, that there are sanctions. Uh, for example, you are deprived of voting rights in the AU uh, if you don't meet your obligations, and I think that, that's the route to go. But, but, of course, there are more important issues and other important issues on the agenda. 
uh, other than just the scales of assessment issue, but, mm. but you raise a very important issue. And, and and speaking of some of the other issues on the agenda, um, uh, terrorism inter- incidents in countries like Kenya, Nigeria, and Somalia, and uh, also, of course, uh, the challenges in Burundi, South Sudan, and others are on the agenda. So um, this whole issue of uh, establishing uh, some uh, kind of standby force, an African standby force. Now, again, it speaks again to the issue of funding. Who's going to fund that? How will this actually work? Yeah, you see, you see, here is the dilemma. I mean, I, I'm sometimes a bit perplexed by by the rhetoric um, and the messaging that, that that comes out of the African Union. So let's just take the issue you um, you address now, and and even the very forthright comments by the minister. So the issue of of uh, levies on flight tickets and and um, you know when you book into the hotel special levies for the African Union that, that's been on the agenda since 2002. I was very heavily involved um, with drafting documents and, and strategy and vision documents for the AU at the time. I mean it has been on the agenda. Uh, am I seeing signs that they're taking it more seriously now? Well, I would like to believe that at the same time I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now. We come back and we haven't made headway on the issues. Let me come to the key issue of peace and security. And what I like about the question you just asked about the peace and security front is that if you are dependent on external funding to the extent that the African Union is for its peace and security operations, then quite frankly, we're making a mockery of the idea of autonomy and ownership of our agenda. So in the European Union, rhetoric not Standing. So in other words, the rhetoric is that we would like to become less dependent on foreigners, less dependent on former colonizers in particular. In other words, the European and uh, states in America in particular, the dominant Western powers. If that's the rhetoric, reality does not square up with this. So the EU pays to the African Union's peace and security budget to the tune of 250 million euros. Now that is that is outrageously high. Um, whether the EU, of course, translated effectively into into influencing the agenda is another question, because I think the EU is a bit ambivalent. Um, everybody suffers from Sinophobia. They all fear the influence of China. And what I like about the point that you made about China and it building seemingly a small issue at the headquarters of the African Union. First of all, no other African, no African state would have stepped to the plate to do it, even though, even though South Africa is capable of doing like it's building the Pan-African Parliament in Midrand and the like, it's a matter of time that South African citizens um, and constituencies will start to ask questions about, is it worth our while to invest in all of these things? What, is, what are the dividends for South Africans? South Africans will ask the question. But the Chinese are very um, uh, aggressive with the purse. They will use money in order to pave their way and uh, access in, in, into the continent. But so, so, so just in brief, what is key about your point is that the rhetoric says we want to become independent, less dependent on external sources. Uh, the reality is that we appear to be more dependent on these external um, uh, actors uh, to, to, to fund something like our peace and security architecture, mm. which is not a healthy situation. And then before I let you run there, Prof, just one uh, last question about, uh, you know, Africa's bid for a permanent seat at uh, the UN Security Council. Now, again, you know, what's your view on this? Because this is one of the items on the agenda as well. Look, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm really positive, re- positively reassured to see there's a special high-level discussion 
not only on UN Security Council reform and Africa's position on that question, but also on Africa's positions in international fora in general. The fact that Africa just does not seem to get a fair shake um, of representation and voice in these international fora. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the issue is on the agenda by Africa. Two disappointments, however, and this is not pointing at Africa necessarily. The issue does not necessarily enjoy the same sense of seriousness and urgency in New York. Certainly the permanent five members, the UN, uh, sorry, the US, um, and even um, supposed allies and partners of, of the continent, China, Russia, they're not enthusiastic about this issue. You know, they could avoid putting this issue on the agenda. They would. So in New York, this thing does not enjoy the same kind of urgency. In Africa, it does. But I must say on the African continent, we're going to make a mistake to think there's widespread consensus about what the African position should be, let alone who the African candidate should be. There's, there, there are divisions uh, on this issue. So just, just finally, one of the issues that, things that I'm looking forward to is, is frankly, next week, the uh, 14th and the 15th, when the summit starts in earnest, uh, a showdown between President Robert Mugabe and UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon. Because, as you know, it's now tradition that the UN Secretary General attends these summits every year, and Ban Ki-moon is going to visit our shores next week, and he'll make a statement typically uh, on the part of the UN Secretary General. He's very forthright about African issues, the responsibility to protect sovereignty, human rights, and the like. But having someone like Robert Mugabe in the seat as chair, I mean, he's likely to, 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 to really be aggressive uh, on this issue.